The Work Group for Electronic Data Interchange, a nonprofit coalition of healthcare industry stakeholders, recently launched a new work group focused on genomic data exchange. The work group emerged from a weedy task force that earlier this year examined the challenges related to genomic information exchange, including privacy and security issues. Those findings were outlined in a recent report about genomic information exchange that was issued by the task force. I'm Marianne Kobazek-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Devin Jopp, President and CEO of Weedy, who will be discussing some of the security and privacy-related issues that the new Genomic Information Exchange Workgroup will tackle. Devin, to start, why did Weedy decide now was the time to form a new workgroup focused on genomic data exchange? It's an interesting timing on this. We actually were working on this at the same time uh, when the president came out with the Precision Medicine Initiative. And we had been looking at this issue of genomic data and seeing it with uh, some groups out there that have started commercializing this data and started evaluating the, the issues of, well, how does this get stored and transmitted? And we realized that really, while there are some institutions that are doing some great work, there really is no infrastructure today to really move this data between institutions or different providers, or for that matter, even the consumer, to get that information in a standardized way. So we wanted to begin the dialogue knowing that uh, it's not going to be here tomorrow, but it's something that we have to start planning for as an industry. Devin, based on the findings of the task force study that was done, what are some of the biggest privacy and security concerns related to the exchange of genomic data? Yeah, I think a lot of this gets back into some of the basics. And, uh, you know, we seem like we kind of deal with these issues on one kind of data, and then we go back and we have to deal with them again. But in this big issue of the world of genomics, the big question is, is who owns the data and who has the right to access the data and how? And that seems like it's a very easy answer, you know, and certainly you would say the consumer. But, you know, you certainly have institutions, you have researchers, you have obviously the clinicians involved, uh, all that have potential claims around how this data could be used or owned. And I think we want to get back to saying, okay, so you've got to deal with this kind of segmentation issue of who has rights versus who has use of the data. And I think the second part of this is, you know, how are you going to move the data and ensure that there are appropriate controls? And, you know, we, we still are still working through that on the basic clinical data today, uh, let alone moving genomic data, which is an order of magnitude much more complex than what we're trying to do today with just basic clinical information. So now I understand that the Weedy report notes that often genomic data today gets shared with patients, doctors through email messages, faxes, or scanned documents, such as when a doctor orders a test for a patient to determine the risk of a particular hereditary disease, and then those results get sent back, again, through email, fax, or some other method. What are the privacy and security risks of genomic data that's shared in those manners, and how can that information be better safeguarded? Yeah, and, you know, I, that's a great question. And I think you know, when we start to see how, when you start to see, look how this data is being moved today, a lot of times it's an afterthought. Uh, they're being moved as attachment, by and large, to the medical record. And, and while there are standards out there, like HL7 has a standard, 
where this, these uh, things could be housed within the EHR record, today they're just not adopted yet. And so that's a real challenge uh, that, you know, in essence, they're kind of hanging out there in, as an attachment. And I think, you know, the big question here is also, what are you moving? So you're not really necessarily moving the full genome. Uh, you're moving perhaps indicators or markers. And so I think some of the requirements there around you know, that we're moving these through email or fax, you know, they certainly have to have the same scrutiny, at least, as to what we're doing with the current health information. And I'm not sure that that's really happening yet to any great extent. To kind of dig in on this today, you know, you see a lot of the genome typing being done, particularly like in oncology where they're looking at tumors. And I think a lot of that is kind of within the clinical laboratory side. But as we start looking at kind of the real genotyping of, of individuals and their risk factors, that's where I think it really gets crucial around how do we move this data and ensure that there are appropriate security wrappers, if you will, around this. And then, of course, once the consumer has it, how do you make sure that it's also safeguarded today? So whether they're using it on a mobile device or a web interface, I think all of these things are so new uh, that there's just not a lot of infrastructure yet around the privacy and security aspects of it, but we're going to have to as we move forward in this space. So let's also talk a little bit about external storage of genomic data, such as by a cloud service provider versus yeah. storage of the genomic data as part of the EHR. Cloud-based storage of genomic data could help the performance of EHR systems because the genomic data is so massive. But what are the privacy and security pros and cons of external storage? And you're right. This is actually happening today. In fact, I was just talking to a very large cloud vendor the other day. You know, when you're moving a genome around, you're moving, you know, petabytes of data. And certainly these cloud vendors have the internal capacity bandwidth in order to manage this data. I think like anything, though, you certainly run into the basics around, you know, how are we protecting this data? And, you know, there's a big difference between buying, for example, a television set online through using a cloud storage server that's kind of storing just, you know, kind of your financial data, which is sensitive enough, but also ensuring that there's appropriate controls on the on the actual data itself is crucial or the physical security. And I kind of go back to basic HIPAA 101, what are those technical and administrative safeguards that these cloud vendors are putting in place? I think they at least have to be following the, the basics to ensure that they're meeting those. But I also think we're at risk these days now of not just kind of the basics of security, but a lot of the, the advanced kind of attacks that we're getting now and, and the, the breaches that we're noticing. I think it's going to require even more kind of innovation around automated tools to prevent some of those hack attacks that could actually be reaching into this kind of new data and trying to exploit it over time. So when we talk about various safeguards that cloud providers or even, you know, other holders of this sort of information can take to protect this data, what are some of the challenges involving encrypting genomic data? Is that trickier than encrypting other health data? I think this gets into the age-old question of what exactly are you trying to move, right? And um, I believe that you're, you're kind of seeing more movement towards trying not to actually move the data, but kind of move the data at rest and share kind of abstractions of the data. If I send a genome, it's not really understandable unless you know, that's what you do for a living. It's really what are those key markers that are in place. Really, the issues of security fall around, I think, all of these, whether it's your, your cloud-based or whether you're hosting within your own facility. It's really around encrypting the data, whether it's in rest, whether it's in motion. I don't know that it's any harder. It's just a lot more of it. 
And so it's going to require organizations where they might have only thought that they have to encrypt it when it leaves their server. You know, it really means that they're going to have to encrypt it even when it's just kind of lying on the server itself. And, you know, again, we're seeing these breaches where these relatively simple hack attacks are able to get to this data and, and folks didn't think that they had to encrypt it because it was safely behind the firewall. And I think genome data just is another spin on that. that that's really not good enough. So now, also when it comes to genomic data that's used for research purposes, are there particular challenges involved with de-identifying that data, and what are they? I have to tell you, I I have not been kind of adeptly attuned into the de-identification mechanisms of genomic data. You know, I would say that it probably today follows very similar models of what we're doing on the clinical side in terms of trying to remove personal identifiers off of it. I don't know that there's really been any kind of specific de-identification around the genomic data, but I'd have to defer to others on that one, I'm afraid. So now you also mentioned earlier that the task force was launched around the time that President Obama announced the Precision Medicine Initiative. So far, based on what we know about that plan, does it effectively address the privacy and security concerns of genomic data? Any gaps that you see that need to be filled? I think there's a lot of questions raised in the personalized medicine piece. And I think from what I understand of of what the president was trying to do, was certainly trying to raise the bar on getting this data and making it more widely accessible, particularly in the research environment where we could do more things and try to find better cures. But I think there's a lot of infrastructure that's really missing from that around how are you going to move and secure that data. And I don't know that that was necessarily baked into that plan, but I think it's something as an industry we're going to have to address. And I go back to problems that we continue to have even in the basic clinical world, like around data segmentation. Well, I want to share this, but I don't want to share that. We haven't even figured that out yet and how to do that in the clinical record where the patient really has control yet, let alone dealing with it in the genome. So I don't think that there is necessarily a call for dealing with that as part of the president's message per se, but as an industry, I think if we're going to scale this and do this in a way that, that we want to make this available and make this actually happen, we're going to have to really relook at our framework and come up with new kinds of models that are going to address those kinds of concerns. Because if you think we have problems today with segmentation, the genome component just adds it to a whole new level. So, Devin, how about health information exchange organizations? In your opinion, are those organizations generally capable of facilitating the exchange of genomic data in a secure manner? And any suggestions on how they can go about trying to tackle that task? I guess the, at this point, it's really too early to tell or, or you know, maybe the jury is out. I think you know, the HIE environment from what you know, we've seen, certainly there are different levels of sophistication where you have some HIEs that are very embedded into their community and, and have existing partnerships and, and, if you will, kind of the stovepipes in place where they could conceivably move that data. However, in much of the HIE market or states out there, you know, we've also seen challenges with HIEs floundering or really not really having understanding what their role is here. So I don't think that it's clear yet whether we're talking about using the HIE network as trying to push this data through it or whether we're actually talking about new methodologies for how that data might be aggregated into, you know, biobanks or repositories where that data is more easily and readily accessible. Devin, as the new Genomic Information Exchange Workgroup gets off the ground, what should we be watching for first? 
We've been really trying to figure out, this is such a big topic, how do you, how do you make a meaningful difference in, without trying to boil the ocean? And, and I'll, I'll tell you kind of a couple key things that we're looking at right now. First of all, I think is that, that issue that you brought up around the HIE component, which is how do we begin surveying these organizations to really assess genomic exchange capabilities? What are folks really capable of doing? And Knowing that, how do we begin to create a roadmap where we can start to talk about how these things can be electronically exchanged uh, between stakeholders? I think the other component of this is even some of the basics, which is around how do we build common understanding of genomic data formats and standards? We're going to need a taxonomy. This is a new land, if you will, that we have to really walk our way through and feel our way through. And I think some of those things will be areas that we'll be weighing in. And then finally, I think there's other areas around, so what are these barriers as we look to these solutions to link kind of genotype and phenotype type of data? How do we go about trying to really do that in a way that's meaningful? And we're going to be running into things uh, around legal and policy frameworks that I think we're going to have to be also coming up with concepts and recommendations around how do we make sure that we just don't build more silos as we start to deal with these new networks of genomic data out there. Devin, eventually do you predict that you'll be making recommendations to HHS as they sort of plot out the plans for the Precision Medicine Initiative or other sorts of related issues? Yeah, I think there's two roles that we need play, certainly, and I think one of them certainly is that those recommendations to HHS and that, uh, you know, when, when we feel like we have something concrete that we can suggest to the policy, certainly that's something I think that's in our wheelhouse that we would plan to do. Uh, I think the second part of it is we also hope to create some frameworks and industry guidance for the industry that as we are doing these things and before regulation comes out or new regulations called for necessarily, that we can all kind of get on the same frame here and make sure that we're implementing to the best of our ability in a, in a common methodology. You know, and we've done that in many other ways where you know, we've come up with ideas and concepts and thoughts where the industry is able to take those and run with them. And then you know, later on, the federal government either comes behind and, and codifies it or, or doesn't, but it at least means that we're kind of beating to the same drum rather than trying to reinvent things over and over again. Thanks, Devin. I've been speaking to Devin Jopp of Weedy. I'm Marianne Kolbasak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.